Today's episode is sponsored by By Heart, which is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. In our house, we never skim on family time together on the weekends. Instead of racing around crazy, we prioritize time at home, time to relax, time to do fun, crazy things that we wouldn't have ordinarily. And you know who else doesn't skim? By heart. By heart is the only American-made infant formula with globally sourced ingredients to use organic, grass-fed whole milk without a drop of skim. Whole milk is full of healthy fats like naturally occurring MFGM, which play an important role in baby's brain development and growth. Are you curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with codename Zibby20 for a limited time. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Riley Sager is the author of Survive the Night, a novel. Riley is the pseudonym of a former journalist, editor, and graphic designer. Now a full-time writer, Riley is the author of Final Girls, an international bestseller that has been published in 25 languages, and the instant New York Times bestsellers, The Last Time I Lied, Lock Every Door, and Home Before Dark. His latest book, Survive the Night, is from Dutton Books, a native of Pennsylvania. He now lives in Princeton, New Jersey. Welcome, Riley. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Survive the Night and all of your amazing works. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, my pleasure. I'm like a little worried this mind of yours going in these very dark places, you know. <laughs> I scare my parents. What are, what are you thinking? <laughs> I got my, my dad, after reading Final Girls, just pulled me aside and said, where did you come up with that? And I'm like, I don't know, but I'm I'm your child. So clearly you guys had something to do with it. So like when you come up with these ideas, you're, it's almost like, it's as if you go through this exercise of, of assuming the worst, right? It's like the opposite of, right? Cause you trust the reader goes in and trusts characters, right? You go in and you're like, Oh, this guy's so nice or this woman or whatever. And then like, by the end, you're completely betrayed. Your expectations are like not at all met, right? Which is what makes it so exciting and fun and like, you know, because you just don't know. So just tell me about how you like flip the characters sort of on their heads or how like this introduction of things that are unexpected and how you manage to do that so well. Well, it, it's always fun to think what are readers expecting in this moment and then to always trying to find the way to completely reverse those expectations well, at the same time, I think at this point, I've gotten a bit of a reputation for people knowing like things aren't what they seem on the surface. So now the challenge is to do it in a way that still surprises them, even though they kind of know it's coming. And so that that's where I, I find like now it's it's like, oh, gosh, am I doing this? Is this good enough? Is this twisty enough? Is this surprising enough? And so what really helps is my my first beta reader is a dear friend of mine. We've known each other since high school. 
And she'll read the book usually in one sitting. And she will text me her real-time thoughts like as she's going through the book. And so it's a great gauge to see like, okay, she's thinking this right now and she's dead wrong. And so I think I'm on the right track. And so that's always like a very nerve wracking day when I know she's reading the manuscript <laughs> and then texting me her, her and like, and I just, I'm waiting for the day where she'll just be like, yeah, I saw it coming. And then I'll just have wow. to rewrite everything. Oh my gosh. That's really funny. What you should, maybe you should try a new experiment because part of even packaging your books with your name and the sort of thriller-y packaging, you know, in the back of your head that something's not what it seems, but what if you tried it as like a romp, not that you need help, obviously you're like massively successful. I'm just saying this would be like a funny exercise if it's packaged as like a rom-com or packaged as something and then you get like completely knocked off your feet. I wonder if like the the marketing is throwing it off a little bit. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? Yeah, that was, <laughs> I could just imagine like this, yeah, cutesy, you know, wonderful rom-com, right? Tweety, and then all of a sudden like two thirds of the way and it's just mass murder. I, I, yes. I think Goodreads would not be kind to me there. <laughs> <laughs> you have like all these like people reading on the beach, like sitting straight up and being like, what? <laughs> what just happened here? I can't believe it. <laughs> well, I would really like get them off the scent of a, of a twist, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> how did you, okay. For, well, for this book in particular, what made you place it like on this call, started in a college campus and the characters that were involved in this and the drive and the, you know, picking you know, the thing, what did you call it? It was like teeth on the wall where somebody pulls down the name oh, for yes, a ride share and which I loved that imagery. That was awesome. How did you decide to base it there? Why this? like formulation? How did you come to it? Well, with, with Survive the Night, it was it was a complete knee-jerk reaction to my previous book, Home Before Dark, which was this, like, it was two books in one told by a father and a daughter, 25 years apart. And it just was so complex and just, and I just wanted simplicity. And so the idea that popped into my head was, and I still to this day don't know what prompted it, but it was film noir, Little Red Riding Hood. And I thought, oh, that sounds like something, but I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And then I just, I liked the idea of just most of the book being two characters in a car and playing, you know, suspicious mind games with each other. And, you know, I, I the, the really quick pitch I gave to my editor was a, a girl, a killer, a car. And I just really liked the simplicity of the idea. But the hard part is how do you form a whole novel out of this? And I knew instantly that I could not set it in the present day because cell phones, you know, like the book would be five pages long. <laughs> and so I chose to set it in the past, but in the past that a lot of us can still remember and are still familiar with, like I was a senior in high school in 1991, which is when the book takes place. And you know, I remember. I'm trying to even do the math to remember how old I was in 1991. <laughs> I think I was a freshman in high school in 1991 because I graduated in 94. So do with that what you will. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> and I, my, my car broke down one night and I had to walk down this country road to like the, the only farmhouse in sight and knock on the door at 11 p.m. And, you know, they answered and I said, hi, I'm a complete stranger. My car broke down. Will you let me in so I can call my parents? And like they did, because that's what people did back then, because they were so much more trusting. And so there was just a, it's a bit of a, a nice quaintness to 1991 that before all the technology took over, made everything so much easier to get out of situations. 
And also being a high school senior in 1991, I remember that time period so well, but I knew research was not necessary. Like I could remember every song that was playing on the radio then, every movie that was playing, just everything. So it made my job a lot easier. I feel like the memories I have of those years are so much clearer than like the nebulousness of like everything in my 20s and 30s. Right. It all kind of like smushes together, but like high school and college and like those moments, they're like very crystal. Yeah. I remember 1991 better than I do two years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Thank you for saying that better than I was saying. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. (laughs) I have the same thing. Wow. You know, it's funny you say that, that if like the, the novel would be like five pages, because what does that say about our life? Like all the intricacies of that, that like, all the richness of experience that would come from all of those experiences would just be gone. I, I'm sorry, I'm not speaking coherently. I've had no sleep, but I think you know what I mean. That what does that say when there are so many shortcuts that you don't get to even live the real experience, let alone read about it? That's all. Yeah, it, it was very, and some of the responses were very surprising to readers who were not yet born in 1991 and not quite understanding. Oh, why did she, you know, why did she do this? It's like, well, ride boards were a thing on campuses back then and people used them all the time. And it was, it was campus sanctioned hitchhiking, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And so, of course, the main character, Charlie, when she just needs to get home, she's going to go to the ride board. And it just, there was no thought to it about thinking all the dangers that might come about from going to that ride board. It's what she knew. You had like a really, one of your opening, well, when you said how Charlie kept seeing movies in her mind and how something, the medicine she was taking kept the movies in her mind at bay. I kind of loved that visual and why, and that's how you describe medication working its magic in that way. Tell me a little bit more about that and the role of, of medication and sort of what anything can do to like calm the stories that we tell ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's another thing that I mean, is more of a modern day thing where there's a lot more things available to sort of tame our mental demons. And that's a good thing. <laughs> it really is, but it makes for sometimes a boring narrative. And so you have to, as a storyteller, come up with ways to get around that. And so for, for Charlie, She's been through a lot, you know, she's had a hard, hard life and her defense mechanism are these movies in her mind. And I loved that idea of just everything is so horrible that I just want to, her brain shuts down and it's on like a big screen. And because it's a movie, nothing can hurt her. And because it's her defense mechanism, she doesn't like that this medication she's been forced to take makes those movies go away and she has to sort of face the real world. And so she decides to stop and the movies in her mind come back at full force at probably the worst possible moment, (laughs) but it it makes for a very interesting story and it made for a fun writing experience. I I loved creating these situations where is is this real? Is it a movie in her mind? What What is going on? And she doesn't know. And the reader sometimes doesn't know. And it was a challenge to strike the right balance. I had earlier drafts where there were too many movies in her mind and they went like (laughs) to crazy places. And 
I had, to, I had to really pull it back because I knew readers would be like, okay, enough. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Her, I'm like, what are these orange and white pills? I don't know. I get my hands <laughs> on some of this, these orange pills or something. But you also, you know, I, I like, not that I'm in any position to do this, but I, I taught this random little writing class last night about what I like to read and like what I think makes a good book. And one of the things I said was how much I appreciate great opening sentences for every chapter, because I think that you have to like continually re-engage the reader, right? Like each chapter has to start with something just as captivating as the beginning of the book. So one of your opening sentences is, Charlie learned to drive in the car her parents would later die in. And it's like, that is a great sentence opening, if I've ever heard one. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> because no, you're immediately like, empathetic, nostalgic. You, you see yourself in that. We've all learned how to drive. Like, anyway, tell me a little bit about that. And if you, if that's a conscious decision on your part when you're writing. Okay. We can't bubble wrap our kids to keep them safe, but we can give ourselves some peace of mind now with the Life 360 app, which I am obsessed with. I first heard about this from a girlfriend at a party who told me that this was the app to use. So I got it. And now I am obsessed. It's a family connection and safety app that lets you track the people and things that are most important to you. And it's much more than sharing location. It is about safety. It keeps families connected and protected throughout the day. Plus, it helps you find your things. So I have tiles, one of which I put on my phone, which I lose a hundred times a day, and I can find it through the app whenever I lose it. Also, it lets me put in locations of interest. So I get alerts when my kids reach school after taking the bus or when my husband gets to LA or whoever you want to track. You can do it with Life360 and feel very protected and safe and it makes life better. It makes peace of mind better. Life 360 has my family's back when they're on the road, and I can track their stuff too if I need to. Plus, of course, it's a lifeline during emergencies because you can have crash detection to know if one of the kids is in an accident and with two almost driver's license kids, that is super important to me too. So put away the bubble wrap and protect your loved ones with Life 360. Visit life360.com or download the app today and use code BOOKS, B-O-O-K-S, all caps, to get one month of the gold package for free, plus 15% off all tiles. That's life360.com, code BOOKS. It is. I, I try to always end the chapter with a great line and then start the next chapter with a great line. And I try to make what's in between that great as well, but sometimes it's not as sometimes it's not as easy. But with, yeah, with, with Charlie, I really wanted to hit drive home, no pun intended, the the point that you know this is why she doesn't drive, and this is why she's kind of in the situation where she's in, and this is you know her parents died in a car accident, and she hasn't driven since, and it just speaks to her specific experience and her specific fears. And there was a lot of attempts to make her as understandable and empathetic as possible, because I also knew that a lot of decisions she makes are highly, highly questionable. And so I wanted people to be on her side and understand, okay, I don't know why she's doing this in this particular moment, but 
I kind of get it. I wouldn't do this, but I get why she's doing this. And so that's where, you know, her past comes into play. And like that particular sentence you pointed out, it, it really was. I was I was pleased when I came up with that because that is like, oh, this is a this is an attention getter of a sentence right here. Yes. And explains a lot about the character. Okay. Check plus on the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so when did you know you wanted to be a writer? Oh gosh, probably that is such a good question. I always loved reading. Reading was big in my household. My mom still to this day, like just always has a book at the ready. Like just there would be her easy chair and the TV and there'd be a book, usually Mary Higgins Clark or some romance novel like right there. And so reading was just something we all did. And I remember distinctly, I think I was 10 when I read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And that was the first time that a book like truly took me out of the world I was in into a whole different world. It was this magical, weird thing where I just had no concept of what was going on around me. I was in the book. And I think maybe that was when I decided, gee, this might be fun to do this for a living. Not knowing then that when you're writing a book, there is no magic. It's all hard work and trial and error and revising. But at the time, it seemed like this wonderful job to have to create stories that people would fall into and the world would fade away for a little bit. And I, th I think that's where it started. And then just, I think like most writers, you just noodle around like, you know, bad poetry, like in junior high, and then maybe some bad short stories in high school. And, and yeah, I just kept at it, writing different things and Till I got up to like, I'm going to write a book that never got published. And I'm going to write another one that never got published. And then eventually, yeah, it just, it happened. So was it your third book? Your third full form book that sold? Yes. Yeah. And it's so, yeah, lucky, lucky third try. Yeah. <laughs> and then is it all you dreamed or when you were? <laughs> <laughs> it's sometimes it's, it's weird. Sometimes it's, it's more than I ever dreamed. And then sometimes it's like, wow, the reality is not what I thought it would be at all. And so it's it's a very strange feeling sometimes where I've, I've been fortunate enough to have some situations that are just truly surreal that I never thought would happen. Like Stephen King tweeting about my book six months before it came out. Like who thinks that that would ever happen to them? And then like the next week, I was just sitting at home on my couch, just flipping through Entertainment Weekly and there was my book in Entertainment Weekly. And they were talking about how Stephen King tweeted about it. And I just want, like, I, I really, part of me just wanted to, like, kind of smack myself and be like, wake up, wake up. But no, this it legitimately happened. And I still can't wrap my head around it. Wow. That's so exciting. It's, it's, I wonder so if weird. that's like, I wonder if that's how everyone feels when, like, all this great stuff starts happening. I mean, you, I always used to think like, oh, famous people and like, the, you know, they would just be a different type of person, right? That like, of course they would like win an Oscar or whatever, but I'm realizing that's completely not the case at all. <laughs> like, it's just like everybody else is still just going about their day and then they have like a massive bestseller or something amazing happens or anyway, it, you're still just on the couch, like hanging out. Yeah, like it, re it really is. Like I'm, I'm, I'm still... You know, I, t tonight I'm going to have to cook dinner and, and tomorrow I'm going to have to, you know, fix this broken shelf that I didn't get to for the past week and a half. And so it just, so it's normal life. And then there's kind of just beyond it is 
this whole other plane of existence. And it's very strange. It's very surreal. I was literally like, I had to go to the Hampton Inn. Don't even ask for this thing for my son. Anyway, and I had all my other kids and I literally am holding like 57 bags, like wrapped around my neck and hanging off my arms. And I'm at the elevator and my daughter, my older daughter, I have her carrying like 57 bags too. And I just looked at her and I was like, do you think Reese Witherspoon has to do this? Like, <laughs> is this, is this, like, there must be a better way. We can't even get the luggage cart to like come up and help us <laughs> in a person, you know? So anyway, anyway, my, uh, thoughts on fame, but end of story. <laughs> I, and I bet she does. I, I bet she, she seems like the person who would be like carrying like she the, might. the 20 bags around and still yeah. being like as chipper as hell about it all. And just being like, Hey y'all, I'm carrying 20 bags. And yeah. Yeah. That's true. Doing a little dance. Whereas I would be like, this is terrible. <laughs> like screaming at everybody. <laughs> oh, well it becomes funny later, but you know, in the moment I'm not always having the best sense of humor about it. So what are you working on now? My next book is is finished, and I'm so excited about that because normally this is a time of year when I am scrambling to meet my deadline, where as like this is the room I write in, and that's the chair I write in over there. And oh, it's beautiful. And there, but it's so now I like I'm like, oh, this is nice. I'm relaxed. I'm I'm wearing like real clothes and not like sweats and like a Mickey Mouse t-shirt <laughs> and like guzzling my third cup of coffee of the day, just being like, I must write 2,000 words today. So it's it's so much more relaxing now to have like the book done. And for that, and this is so ironic, like it's because of the pandemic. Like writing got so much easier when I had no other social obligations whatsoever. I was like, I can't leave the house. I might as well just write. And the book got done so fast. So yeah, yeah, my next one is coming out summer 2022. And I'm taking a little bit of a break before I start diving into the writing of the next one. What is the next book called? It is called The House Across the Lake. The House Across the Lake. Oh, wait, I think I knew that. It was already on your website. I'm sorry. I did know that. It's, it's, I'm very, I'm very excited. It's, it's very rear window-esque and yeah, I'm, I'm, and it's, crazy surprise like there are bonkers twists in this book that yeah i cannot wait for people to read so not only do i have to worry about everyone i get into a car with now but now you're destroying lakeside comfort <laughs> <laughs> lake, lake houses will be ruined for everyone yeah yeah the whole market no more airbnbs rented out and you know that's it <laughs> do you have any advice for aspiring authors yeah to just keep at it you know it's it's really really hard. It's it's such a tough business to break into and it's even tougher once you've broken into it to like really succeed and then when you succeed it's tough to maintain it. So I always use the example like I love my agent. We are like the perfect fit. She's amazing. She was I was rejected 110 times before she accepted me as a client. And so that's crazy. That is some tenacity right there. <laughs> but it, 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 so it's, it's not easy. And so you just have to stick with it and, and believe in yourself and keep writing. Like, I think a lot of authors have like that one or two or three or more unpublished manuscripts in a drawer somewhere that it took them a while to find their voice and the right way to tell the story. And so it is a lot of, it's a lot of stuff that you think is wasted time, but it ends up being valuable because you're learning from all of it. Awesome. Amazing. 
Well, Riley, thank you so much. This was fun. Thanks thank for you. chatting today. And now I'm very excited for your next book coming out next summer. Can't wait. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much. I had a blast. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 